welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, Nick talks with Peter Samuel from Pioneer Brush about his background and the history of Pioneer Brush. They also nerd out and educate us about different brush types. Happy Saturday, everybody. I am Nick Slavic. I am the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It's a weekly live Facebook show where I use my almost three decades of experience as a master craftsperson and a paint business entrepreneur to basically highlight the life of, uh, of a craftsperson and, and paint business owner and then answer any questions. And uh, I'm a, I have a brief introduction here. I got to go through uh, a few bits of business, but boy, if you ever wanted to get nerdy about paintbrushes today, <laughs> me and Peter are going to go deep into this. Uh, Peter Samuel is my guest. He's from Pioneer Brush. I'm sure you guys have been seeing all, a whole bunch of postings and stuff on social media about Pioneer Brush. And uh, we are going to go deep about uh, Peter's history, uh, Pioneer Brush, uh, the history of brushes, brush making, the science, the technology and everything else. But first, I should mention the Painting Contractors Association, the PCA. So I know those of you who have been watching social media have seen our expo, our big exposition, where 600 people got together, uh, the finest paint business owners, master crafts people from around the country. And uh, it's a life-giving event. It, it really fills up all our tanks, gives us a lot of energy. And of course, you get to meet people who are doing this with you and uh, share a bunch of best practices. And it was a lot of fun. So if you want to connect with more people like Peter, like me, thoughtful people in the industry, who want to see the industry progress, this is where you're going to find it, the PCA. So. I am not going to belabor this any longer. Uh, my guest, Peter Samuel, here from Pioneer Brush. Um, I want to get to know, I, I think you guys need to get to know Peter a little bit better. I've been getting to know him over the last couple of months. And uh, boy, we are a couple of painting and brush nerds, Peter. <laughs> All right. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, let's go deep into Pioneer Brush. Okay. Um, well, Pioneer Brush is, is a, we're a private company. Uh, we're, we're a brush maker, obviously. We're, we're, we're owned by three partners who've all been in this business for, like, like you said yourself, for, for 30 years. Um, and you know, we, we we have facilities in the UK and we have facilities in, in China. That's 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 basically it. Um, we've been in operation since 2008, but our roots go back much much further than that, back to the 1930s, in fact. You know, where my, my Grandfather's cousin, I think it is anyway. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was a refugee from Germany uh, just before the war. So he from Nazis and he set up a business in London. He was a crystal, crystal trader himself, so he goes back further. But he, he merged with a, another refugee um, and they made a company called World Bank Meyer, which became you know, one of the largest crystal trading companies in the world, and doing horsehair and pig bristle and and find there for, for artist projects, cosmetics—they they had their own processing plants as well. Um, I, I joined that company in 1985, um, and you know things evolved. So you know, the world gets smaller, trading becomes difficult. Therefore, it's, you know, we, we started to go into finished products, not, not just the commodity. Ah. And in 1996, we started our own manufacturing. And as I said, you know, things changed. So in 2008, the company, the divisions of the company went in their own direction. And I took my team, my two partners came with me, and we started. That's how we got to Pioneer. We produce paintbrushes of all, all sorts of quality, but basically we like to focus on trade. Um, we produce 18 million brushes a year, which get it just over 20 different countries. So we're, we're operational all across the EU, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all sorts of places. The one place we didn't go is the USA. And, <laughs> and the reason was we didn't really have the right connection. But 
as of 2018, we decided to, to go. But we wanted to do something different. So instead of selling to retail distribution, we decided to see if we could sell direct to the end user. And, that, and I mean that meant that we were the craftsmen, we were contractors, you know, not the DIY. We wanted to focus on the product. So we set up this e-commerce site, um, and it's been pretty good. It could be better. <laughs> uh, but it's been good. And, and, and it's been really nice working and meeting people through the APC and the PCA and, you know, and, and having good conversations. So yeah, we hope it, it grows. Yeah, well, you found that you found the right group of people who are constantly looking to, uh, you know, improve their processes, improve their people processes, their businesses and things like that. And yeah, it's it. I, I was delighted because there's there's lots of places you can buy brushes, but sharing a deep history, a deep, deep history of, of not just brushes, but back to bristle training and all that other stuff. Like that is something that a lot of people do not possess. So the, the richness of knowledge. Uh, that you and your team have is just amazing. I mean, the the history of of brushes as we know it uh, is somehow contained in in some part, probably between all of your brains, and it is such a cool thing. And I'm sure it informs what you guys do now. I, 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 well, I, mean, I hope so. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, we 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 have been involved in all sorts of aspects of of the trade. You know, uh, from the bristle to the handles, to the machinery to make brushes. You know. Also to make sterols, processing of handles, and, and all, all sorts of aspects of this. So, I'd like to think, yes, we do. We, you know, we, you know, men are experts on many things, but maybe this is the one thing that we we do know something about. Yeah. So, um, and I just wanted to say, so, sorry, just when you're talking about, you know, talking like-minded with people who are, you know, in in the trade at, at your end and the manufacturing end and the, the end user end. One thing that does strike me when I talk to contractors in the UK, across Europe, is the passion that goes into, you know, the way that people feel about the products that they use. It's, it's really quite, it's really quite amazing. No, and, and I will say that, you know, obviously you, you've locked into a very passionate crowd here in the United States, but the, my, my impression has always been, um, I, there are a couple of English transplants, uh, uh, master crafts people like myself in the United States. One, Chris Mole, who lives in Minnesota, was actually here, and he got his, um, he, he did his apprenticeship in England working on the old stone buildings, the castles, things like that. And when I talked to him and guys like Joe Finch from Detroit, they talk about this culture of craftsmanship in England, almost to the point where, you know, we do a lot of spraying work here. And we think that is a very, you know, sort of very specific thing, a higher end finish. It feels like in England, the culture of craftsperson is no, the highest um, realization of a craftsperson is, is that brushwork, that, that old school brushwork like that, even more so than the United States. Is that something you've witnessed as well, Peter? Yes. For sure, the, the ones we, we have our own association here called the PDA, the Painting and Decorating Association, um, and yeah, you know, yes, they, they will they, they will tell you exactly what I just, just told you. That people are passionate about this sort, you know, this about, about the that they use, and it's especially the brushes, you know. And as you can see from the website, you know, we've got and I can see in front of you now, you know, there's a there's quite a big array of different types of brushes. Yeah, and some of them are very, very old. I, I, I'm not sure if I can see it. It's like a wall brush. I think that's the one. Yeah. God, this is so. I, I, uh, one of the last things we'll do here, Peters. I'm going to give a demo. I'm going to go through some of this stuff. But immediately, what intrigued me about you guys is I started seeing some very interesting historic sort of things there. And this isn't something that just people stumble upon. Like. You have to have a deep knowledge of the history of our craft of brushes to even start dabbling in this stuff. So I instantly, when I saw some of these things on your website, it, it just like it triggered that like lightning in me, that old craftsperson itch. <laughs> the one you picked up, the, the, the we should call it four, no, sorry, the other one, the, the four. Oh, sorry, the duster. Yep, pouring duster. I mean, I, I was. I think we. I think we've got a, a blog on our website about the history of. Paintbrushes, but if you go back in time, that's how most paintbrushes look. That's how they look. You would get a knot of filament, usually big hair, and, and then you would you would tie a string around it, and then you put it into pitch, 
and then you would make a knot, and then you put that knot into in, into the, into a stock, and that's how you made that's how they, that's how they made brushes for hundreds of years until somebody invented the ferrule. <laughs> this is so interesting to me because you know I have a huge library of old historic um, books, you know, from you know uh, guild books and apprenticeship books, and just you know old old stuff, late 1800s, early 1900s, and. When I was going through the website, I saw this. That triggered a thousand memories of reading those books. It's like, I have not seen, and I've, I've never seen a real historic brush like this. Like I've seen them in all the books. I've never actually come across one in my real life. So when I came across one on your website, it was like, oh, this guy likes paintbrushes and he knows history of the paintbrushes. This is amazing. So uh, yeah, it, it triggered a lot of great sort of images of those old books for me, so. And, and, and the other brush, you the big one, the, the wall brush that you got. I mean, that is originally that's that was a it was a distemper brush, very very light um, coverings. But before the paint roller, that's that's what you used, and that yeah. would have been back in the day. That would have been natural pig hair. That would be six inch pig hair from a pig that you know. Lived long enough to grow that that that, that length of hair. That was, that was and, how they used to and, do it. And Peter, nowadays, is are are the dusters and the wall brushes? Are these still natural bristle brushes for you guys? No, uh, it's very difficult to get that sort of length of bristle nowadays. You know, in in the old days, you know, before modern breeding practices, you know, took over in places like Russia and China, because wall bristle used to come from places like Russia. Uh, China, um, India, uh, and even some in Europe as well. They, they just, they, they, pigs don't really, they don't live long enough to prepare them. So, so in general, pig hair has become very difficult to use, much lighter as well, because if it, it doesn't grow so long, it doesn't get as thick, and therefore you don't have to bend recovery on it. So synthetics have just taken over, and today's synthetics are, you know, Absolutely right for modern paints too. But modern paints in general, you know, have more acrylics in them. They you need to work faster with them, um, and they are need to be stiffer. So, so yes, it, it, unfortunately, the natural bristle is it, it's and it's still around. People still use it, but the vast majority is synthetic and some mixture. But most most is. That makes sense. And you guys did a great job of mimicking the look of the old natural bristle, the, the difference between like the khaki colored and the black and things like that. And that is, yeah, that is a, that is a beautiful thing. I like that. <laughs> um, when people get, I mean, you say natural bristle brushes are still around and I, I dabble in them every once in a while. What, what animal do they get the natural bristles from nowadays? Well, it still comes, still comes from pigs. I mean, you know, yeah. When I say it's very difficult to find longer lengths, but that doesn't mean it's impossible to find longer lengths. And I, and I, I, I do, if I'm right, I, I do think that there are natural bristle brushes still around from maybe Corona. I think Corona's going to make Last time I was in the um, But I think that in general, it's, it's, it's a mix. Okay. And, and uh, historically, why did they pick pigs and hogs for that? I mean, there's lots of animals with fur. Well, mostly because of the bend recovery on it, because of, you know, the pig has, I mean, the hair, first of all, the hair has, it has a root at one end. That root is very good if you want to put it into glue. The glue goes around the root, so it's anchor. Um, and then, of course, it has a natural sort of wave to it as, it as it goes up the filament, and that helps with the paint loading. And then most important of all, in my opinion, you have at the end of it, you have a split, we call a flag, and that helps run the paint to a very, very fine point. So, yes, pig hair was absolutely ideal. So, and 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 again, I'm I don't know the science of it. You definitely do. Um, I was always told that natural bristles are hollow, and that's why with solvents and things like that, it actually holds a little more, and that's why it doesn't spit or drip or or as much as like a a um, a synthetic is that is that a true thing that I know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a natural it's, it's, it's natural hair, so it will absorb. It's not hollow, but it, but it will it will absorb much ah, okay. more than a synthetic. Sure. So your paint loading on a natural bristle brush 
is much more it's much superior normally but then of course there are synthetics and we use those in our own filaments uh, in, in our mixture that can mimic those properties so when you extrude a filament you can extrude it different shapes so you can have like like a star formation so you extrude oh. a star and then the, the, you have all those filaments that are next to each other in the brush there. the paint will lie between it and that will hold much more so you, you can do things to, to mimic that paint holding. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, so uh, we should probably talk about what makes a good paintbrush, Peter. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you ask 20, 20, 20 paint, painters, you get probably 20 different answers. I, <laughs> um, I don't know. In, in, in my opinion, if, my opinion, I mean, it depends certainly on the type of surface you're painting you know, and, on, and, and on the paint that you're using. So. You'll see on the website we have softer brushes and stiffer brushes, and that's to correspond with the different types of you know, the thinner and thicker paints that we use. And then we'll have uh, a masonry category for stronger filaments that have less flag in them, so you can use them on stone and they, they don't break and wear down so quickly. But overall, in general, you know, I think a good paintbrush needs to pick up a good amount of paint, first of all. Uh, it needs to release it reasonably steadily rather than just dump it on the surface um, and then the last bit really is that at the end of it should have that flag give you a nice smooth finish it doesn't give you any, any tram lines you know painting that's, that's that's my opinion and that's what we you know, we've, we've used our brushes to try and do those things yeah and, and it's interesting because like you said you're going to get a hundred different opinions I'm sure there's a whole bunch of personal preference in how soft, how stiff, but as paints change, and especially with the modern paints, when you get into, you know, uh, acrylics, latex, and now even some of the, you know, uh, low VOC paints, they're, they're getting stiff and stiff and stiff and stiff. And you can like the brushes you like, but you're going to need to correspondingly have a stiffer and stiffer brush to work with some of these things because those the smaller more delicate brushes just kind of can't handle some of the more robust paints nowadays it feels like i i, I, I totally agree and I, I, i've noticed over the years in the usa you know the brushes and curlers especially they're getting stiffer they, they say it on the packaging and that's i think it's, you know, it's, it's because of the paint change itself they're moving it along with the times and moving Away from the nylons that they more polyesters. You can get soft polyesters that mimic nylon, which is what we use. But I see basically coming less used, maybe. That's my opinion, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, because you can, uh, all stiff brushes aren't created equal. There are very inexpensive, almost throwaway. Um, stiff brushes where it feels like it's just stiff from the ferrule to the end and there's really it's just it's just a fiber like this but then I would consider you know uh, and again this is me being a, a brush novice but having used one for a lot of years there's a sophisticated version of a stiff brush where it's stiff in the right places it's soft at towards the end so it can actually fill in the grain and things it does pick up a lot of paint but it almost feels like there's progression where it's nice and stiff up at the top and the end has a little more flex in it. And it's not just a stiffer brush just doesn't mean like everything is more stiff. It feels like there's a sophistication to some of these brushes. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you, you know, brush. So basically, you know, brushes need to have different, different lengths of filament. You know, if, if, if the brush that you're describing, I think is, you know, one of those single, single length level filaments, it's completely straight. So there's no taper on it, so there's no way that the paint can come down slowly. It just dumps at the end and just falls off and dumps. Also because there's nothing on, on, on the filament itself to hold the paint. There's no, there's no crimp in it, no, no undulation, no extras to hold it in. But when you, know, when you make a good brush, you've got to have different, different lengths of filament. So you know, when, we, when we make the filament, we extrude it an extrusion machine. It goes through a it's through a mold, so it make the profile, uh, it'll make the diameter, so you can choose how stiff you want to make that filament. Pull that filament through processing, and it comes off the other end as a hank. And then you cut the hank, and you cut. You can you can get you can get a hank like that, and then you cut it straight. And then you've only got 
you've just got one length. So the, the way to make a good crush is you cut, you do one straight cut and you do one angle cut. And then you mix it so you get like this paper. Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool, Peter. I've never had it explained like that, but that that is perfect. When when you that explains a lot. When you actually look at a brush, not all the bristles come right to the tip, the farthest end. You can see them progressively, sort of like a, a mix. And it's not just it's not just like a sheer cut this way at an angle. It's like it is a it is a mix staggered all kind of over the place. That is really I've never had it explained that way before. That's really cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's how we make brushes. There is, a, there is another way, which is that, that straight cut, and then you can mix different lengths, so you get like step formation. You can oh, see that yeah. yeah. comes as a DIY model. You can see that sort of, there's like one length, and then there's another length. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Something similar, but not quite as well. So, um, again, I am, I am over the moon about what you guys do, because you have what I would call the weird stuff. Uh, you do have the crazy wall brushes. I only have examples of these that are historic brushes, and I hang them in my office because they are so cool and they are old, and they do have hog, horse, some other natural filament in it, and they are absolutely amazing. And I don't know how they, um, I don't know how they survive. But you guys manufacture these and sell these. What is the main use of something like this in the modern day? Well, I think it's still the stem run. I mean, they are uh, to be to be. To be be fair, they're not they're, they're not they're not our biggest seller. <laughs> you know, oh, I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so a whole lot more have a lot more rollers than than, than yeah. all <laughs> it is still I mean, there is still a demand and, and, and you know it's 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 still hanging on in there with some of the very old school painters who who would rather use a brush than a roller. Um yeah. But it's not yeah big. every peter every bone in my body the logo for my business nick slavic painting and restoration is actually uh a image i found in a probably 1860s 1870s book about our trade and it's literally a guy with the white jacket buttoned all the way down with the white hat holding up a six inch wall brush just like this, the logo for my company so i am so tempted to get out a big galvanized bucket full of paint and paint a room just like they used to like that. Just to, I, I've never done it. I've been this for 30 years and, and uh, it's tempting to get out there and do it. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a bodybuilding, I think, that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Peter, when you think about, you know, the, the, the logo of the guy when, when, you know, when I took it for my business, you would imagine they probably did some of that stuff in the teens, the 20s and the 30s with oil and lead paint too. And, you know, when I go to... Um, uh, you know, flea markets and garage sales. Once in a while, you come across one of those old buckets of lead paint that's been sealed, and and there it is, literally a weight. It is a lead weight. I can't imagine how heavy this was. I, I, I think it must have, must have been really quite affecting their health to have to use lead-based paint. I mean, you know, on, on a daily basis. <laughs> but 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 they didn't know any better back then. So no. So the other the other fun stuff that I saw are, you know, uh, most people would refer to this as the hockey stick brush, but I've always known it as a radiator brush. And, and I think that's what you guys call it as well, too. Yes, it's a radiator brush. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they're very, very popular across the EU. It's, it, it's really a design that started there. And the, and the idea is it is exactly what it says it is. The idea is you can paint behind the back of the radiator. With it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that because it's 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 so. I mean, when I started with my father, he still had piles of these wood ones, natural bristle brushes like that. And honestly, you know, we don't run across that many radiators. We do historic restoration, so we'll run across some once in a while. But honestly, this may be blasphemy or it might be crafty. I don't know. But when we used to paint barns, he used to have one that was sometimes two or three feet long. I would go and get the peaks of the barns when I'd be on the extension ladder with one of those. I thought, this is one of the most handy brushes uh, for that sort of thing. So I go back to when I was a kid, 10 to 15 years old, using these things on barns. <laughs> that's, that's, exact, that's exactly it. We know it, it's called a radiator brush, but actually it's also sold as a nook and cranny brush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, as you say, something that you, you know, can't be bothered to go and get the ladder. Know, but you can just reach it. <laughs> so, so, so it's that it's it's for that sort of thing that's just a little bit out of reach, but you can just get it with, with the radio. 
it's so funny, like most Barnes beer here in the U.S., you know, uh, the biggest readily available extension ladders we have are 40-foot ladders. So I would put a 40-foot ladder up on that peak. And most barns feel like they're 45 to 47 feet. So I can go to the top of that ladder. I can get myself another three. But these things were absolute lifesavers. I, I would have had to shimmy up on the roof of the barn and then lean over the edge and get those things uh, for if I didn't have those. So that was a – I got a long history of those things. <laughs> and and the, other, the other brush that's next to you, next to the four-ring buster, the, the, the round brush, that's also really comes from the EU. It comes, it comes from, you know, Germany, France, Holland, Spain. And the, the, the really nice thing about those brushes is, is that they, are, they don't look it, but they're really good at painting straight lines. Yes. You, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think so if you looked at it, though, would you? <laughs> no, but it's, it's uh, I've, I've, you know, I have a couple old versions of these, too. And, you know, I've always heard them called sash brushes, oval sash, br sash brushes, things like that. And the way that I've always seen them use is, yeah, they really do well with, you know, uh, wood sash windows where you can really get in there and be detailed like this. And you don't have two or three more inches of brush hanging over to possibly do that. But like you said, this is, these are sneaky, sneaky tools for straight lines. Like you would think that this is just like a, a dauber or a something, but when you actually load this up with paint and put it up against something like this, you have a super thick, uh, uh, version of this brush, it, it can cut sometimes longer than some of the thinner brushes, and those lines are just beautiful when you do it. If you and if you and if you twist it, you twist it as as you as you paint. That's 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 really what they do. The I love that. They use and so, on your website, Peter, uh, you you call this um, Rechampier. That's right. It's just it's the French it's the French name for it. I, I love this sort of stuff. I've never heard that word out loud. I don't know how to say it. I just took a stab at it. But that's another name for these that I have never heard before. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, and we, and we, I think we, my, my partner, Gordon, did a, a little panel group with, with members of the, the PCA and introduced that. And I, I think it, it went down really, really well. And we, we, we sold really many more on, that, on, on, on the website than we thought we would, we would sell. I think, I think you know what's really oh sorry Pete. I, I know what's really interesting is that um, there's a bunch of nerds, a bunch of paint nerds here in the United States with me where if you actually look at our own kits like this, we we carry these things around. We love this. We love um, now listen, we love the traditionalness of, of things like this. This is we're gonna find a few less uses for this than for this. Like this is something we can actually use every day. Uh, in our in our painting businesses, and we love that sort of old school version of of this sort of thing. It kind of connects us to the past of our craft, makes us uh, makes us feel a little more connected to the craftsmanship side. So there's this these are cool little things that just pop up in your office. These are like insanely useful tools. I, I, I'd agree. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and again, obviously the, the duster, these things are, are amazing. I love that this still exists. Um, yeah. And then um, basically we've already kind of dabbled in it a little bit, Peter, but making a paintbrush. Now walk us through the process. Well, I think I as I alluded to before that the first step really is, is the filament and extruding the filament, you know, to different, Different shapes, different diameters, depending on the use of the brush that you want you want to make. Once you've got the filament, the next stage along the way is to, to make the brush head. Um, when, when we make a brush head, we, we we make sure that we have a that the weight is is, is properly weighed in because if, if because you can't have a brush that's too tight or a brush that's too loose, then you'll have problems when you come to glue it. So it has to be it has to have the right amount of filament. So every knot, every knot of filament that we use is weighed individually. And then to put it into the barrel. Then we put a wedge we then put a wedge in to, to hold it tight. Um, and then what you then do is then you pull it up on a shaper so you get you get it coming out the other side. You can pull up and then you get a little bevel shape and you can push it underneath. And the last bit of that is you comb it straight. So when the when the paint is coming down the brush head, it's coming down straight. And that's that's really just that's making the head. 
after that, we go, we take it to the gluing station. Um, and, and the gluing is absolutely critical in this because, as, as I said before, if you over glue, you'll get, you'll get glue running down, running down the filament. You get stiff, you can't work the brush properly. And if you under glue, because the viscosity is, is wrong, you, know, you will have hairs falling out because you won't be trapping all of the hairs in the glue. But once the, once the gluing's done, it's set. It takes about two hours to set, and then you can leave it longer if you want to. It doesn't matter. And then trim the you then trim the brush head. You trim it to an arc, bevel shape, or a flat shape if you're looking for a block um, or a wall brush. Um, and then after that, you you assemble it, put the handle on. Um, and there are various ways of doing this. So we we allude to this in in on the website about double locking and triple locking. Basically, you know, a double a double lock is if you when you when you put the glue in at the beginning, there's a you can see that there's, there's these ribs in the ferrule. And what they do is they act as an anchor. So when you when you've made the brush head that direction, you then put the glue in, the glue goes to the second rib, that that acts as an anchor. That's just anchor number one. Then you can, you can before the glue is set, you can put a screw into the handle inside that goes into the glue and the glue sets around that so that anchor number two. And then you can nail it and you've got three. And there's no way that heads up. Peter, I, I legitimately thought that the ribs were decorative. I did not have an idea that they actually served a purpose. That is amazing. They, 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 they do. It's not. It's not a great. It's not a great anchor. You you can't just have that on its own. Yeah. It does. It does serve that purpose. Um, and then when when the brush head is finished, what we will do is we will then we'll wrap it in paper like an envelope to shape it into that sort of that sort of curved shape, and then we will then steam that. It will come out with a memory. So when, when you're using them, they will always come back to that to that sort of fine point, which means that you know you can do very very detailed accurate painting. Um, oh, yeah. So, so after so after you've done that, after you've assembled the brush, the last stage really is cleaning it out, and it goes through a machine, and you have these beaters, and it will take out anything that hasn't been by the glue if you've got a, if you haven't got all the if you've got some filament up there it'll take it out so that you can get rid of all the loose hairs and then you also can then grind the ends of the filament so that you get like a sanded tip which helps again with, with, with pointing and that's 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 basically that's basically it yeah and and your handles um i think they're a combination of beech and birch yes right but really, really nice. I like the uh, I like the I like the varieties, um, especially with you know like a like a like a swift oval cutter. When when I have a cutting brush, I do like to have a little longer. So when you're cutting something, this will actually get you another six or eight inches like that. And and certainly when I'm doing like enamel work, I do like a shorter something that you know can actually help your fingers because there's so much dexterity work like this. So. I think you guys have got a great variety of, uh, of even shapes and, and stuff like that too, which I'm a fan of. Yeah, I mean the, the base, the two, the two basic types are, are, are that we use are, are birch and beech. I mean beech is slightly better. It's, it's slightly we use it in our spirit range, our swift range. We use we use birch. The main difference is that they're both hardwoods, so you can yeah. nail them and the, and, and, the, and the head will stay on, unlike softwoods where they just come off. Of Grain on on a, on, a, on a beach is tighter, so the handle will will last longer. So it, 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 it's also smoother in the in the hand. Yeah. So um, when I again when I went through the website, um, tons of fun stuff to look at. I'll, I'll kind of walk through a little bit of this, and then I do actually want to use a couple of these things. So I've been I've been testing these. I've been experimenting with these. Uh, the last probably four or five weeks here and um, I picked two of kind of the most interesting ones to me uh, and I'm gonna actually do a demo we got uh, we got a spirit oval here which is an amazing production brush it's just like yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it later but I'm gonna do a wall demo I'm also gonna use the woven um, 
cover. And then we're actually going to do an enamel demo. I'm going to enamel a cabinet door uh, with my spirit flat. So yeah, we're going to, I'll kind of march through this stuff. Obviously the big six inch, the copper ferrule, the wall brush. That was a really cool one. I, I'm very glad to see that still done here. Uh, the radiator brush, hockey stick brushes, sometimes we call it in America. The reshamp here, as I know it now, I do. I now have a fancy, pretentious word to call these oval brushes. <laughs> the duster, and honestly, this one, I, I, I'm afraid to even use it for dusting. It's so beautiful, and it's such a cool thing that uh, I'll probably have to get another one for dusting and then just keep one around the office just to look at. These things are so cool, Peter, so hats off. Uh, we got the uh, a Swift as well. Um, so this is uh, all synthetic, I, I assume, from here on out. Possibly except, uh, the, is this still natural bristle or is this a synthetic as well, Peter? They're all synthetic. Um, okay. They're all synthetic, yeah. Perfect, yeah. So uh, synthetic brushes, uh, amazing uh, arrays of sizes. I love that you offer, you know, like the ovals versus the flats. Uh, I'll leave this one up because we're going to do enamel. Um, natural, uh, synthetic, but uh, uh, mimics that uh, natural bristle uh, for oil enamels, solvent finishes, things like this. And uh, I will say uh, I still use a whole bunch of natural bristle brushes. And this one, you'd be hard-pressed uh, to tell the difference between the natural and your guy's synthetic. It really mimics, like, the stiffness and everything else. So... Hats off to you guys for this one. I was super impressed by this. I had to actually go to the website to see if this was natural or synthetic. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. I mean, we did, we did. I mean, Nick, we 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 did spend a, a lot of time trying to get black and white filament synthetic and to look like natural bristles because, as I said at the beginning, it's, it's harder and harder to get natural bristle that's of a good quality. Um, and. You got, I mean, seriously, uh, even the ratio, like you can see there's some, there's some uh, darker hairs and some lighter hairs, even like the ratio and the tint of these things mimics those natural bristles so much. Like you, this is, this is not something I assume you guys just stumbled across. There's a lot of thought that goes into these. There's even, I mean, we had a requirement. We were, we were asked to do this. Um, so, you know, by, by, by our customers across the EU, um, because they wanted to remain, wanted it to, would look like even though they couldn't get the same quality so we, we we did it exactly like that so we put a little bit of the opposite color in it but also if the, if the filament itself wave is wave so you can see it's, it's a very very natural wave to it which i think really helps with the with the pickup it is absolutely and yeah it even hats off i'm seeing at least four different colors of filaments in the duster even a nice kind of deeper orange in there as well too like seriously man that is a detail that you would not have to do but people like me greatly appreciate so that is a cool thing <laughs> very nice of you to say so yeah and, and again we got uh, different combinations of filaments of sizes of, of cuts, of handles, uh, just beautiful. I am such a fan of ovals too, because it gives you, I mean, just the weight of these things are beautiful. It fits into your hand better. And of course, I'm a big fan of production as well. And these things hold a ton of paint, which I am, I'm a big fan of, so. <laughs> no, I, they, have a nice, they have a nice balance to them. They do, definitely. And what I like too, what you guys do is, um, I like, I like brushes that are a little thicker too. Like there's, there's, you can always buy brushes that are, you know, pretty thin, but for me, I like a big robust brush like that. I like to hold a lot of paint. I like to have the total surface area of the, when you actually put it down to cover a lot of room. You know, if you, if you take a brush with half the filaments and you lay it down like this, that's half the chances for those little flagged ends to get into those little pores and fill and things like that. So I, I'm such a big fan of like a thicker, more robust brush because when you lay it down like that, you're covering, you have twice the amount of, you know, potential to cover all those pores and things. So you guys have some great, nice, robust, thick kind of profiles. Thank you very much. And what I, what I was really interested too is when you, when you read about all the different brushes on the website, uh, it lists that uh, most of them are good for oil and water together. And which I was really, uh, which I was really interested in because that's not, again, I assume that's not something that just happens. There has to be some combination of, you know, because oil and water are very much different and there has to be 
different things happening in here to make it accommoda uh, accommodating for both. So, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got a mix of different profiles in in the filament, um, and, I, and, and if you if you've got the right stiffness versus softness, there, I think you can you know certainly in, certainly for the paints that we have, you know, these synthetic mixtures work very well in both types of paint. Um, in this country, it's it, basically people say the natural bristle won't work very well. The reason for that is because it, it, it's so absorbent and it will just, just flop over. We were, we were oh, sorry, we were talking about that right before the show where years and years ago, I went deep into the, you know, because you can, you can grab brushes at your local store or whatever, but it got me thinking about this constant improvement thing. Let's find the next thing, find the best one, find something handcrafted, a different filament. And eventually I found myself into you know the badger fur and uh, and everything else and uh, yeah they're great they're super soft but they don't stand up even to some of the oils and, and I was telling you like they're they're I mean they are so soft they're almost makeup brushes and they're wonderful for super super thin things but when I even when you use a really robust like oil varnish which is still much thinner than paint you would hold that brush up and the bristles would almost start bending under their own weight like that and it doesn't make for a better finish a softer a uh, less stiff brush doesn't necessarily make for a better finish. You still need that that um, stiffness to push that finish out evenly as you go, and at least in my experience. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, as I said, we were having this conversation before, before the show about you know, some people are really, really into very, very soft brushes. And, but it, in my experience, and it is just in my experience, you know, um, if you have stiff paints, you should have a a stiff filament to push it around, otherwise it just it it, it, it falls behind <laughs> as, as you're painting, you know. Um, and 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 badger, well, badger is is a is really mostly used for graining brushes or for actually shaving brushes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you have the 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 cup and you're mixing up the shaving stuff like that, that's yeah. Well, a makeup brush or a shaving brush, that's what that is. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think you can still find them nowadays labeled as you know fine finish, clear brushes and things like that. But yeah, very interesting that that stuff still exists. So if you, um, want, to, if you want to paint a grain, you know, a, a bunch of brushes, you know, long, very long filament, very thin, long filament and brush will give you a good grain. It's very special. It's a very specialized brush. Very much so. And uh, you guys have roller covers as well, too. So you have the microfiber and you also have the woven, too. And uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but typically uh, my use of these is a little better finish, a little more refined finish. Um, this one's a little stiffer and will actually help with coverage a little bit, maybe on rougher surfaces, exterior things, masonry, things like that. Did I kind of peg that right, Peter? That's, that's right. I mean, the only thing I'd add to that is that the microfiber will pick up very, very well, but it's, it's much better in thinner paints than thicker paint. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the, it's, to me, it's always been the trade-off between there's kind of two types of roller covers, which is something that will give you probably uh, a super fine finish, but tends to mat down under pressure a little bit, uh, definitely doesn't shed. And then you have other, a little more robust, like, woven covers where you might get a stray fiber here and there but honestly nowadays you kind of really don't that used to be a big problem in the old days but they they actually stay they, they have their bounce they have their loft that stays there under pressure when you're putting on thicker paints when you're putting it over rough surfaces which if you use a more delicate more refined roller cover sometimes they just mat down too much and it doesn't help with the with the thicker surfaces so that's how we've always used them right. two versions, so the polyester that's in that's in the fabric that gives it that that bend recovery. It's, the polyester is inherently quite stiff, so so I mean you can get softer ones, but, but inherently it's stiff, and that's what brings it back. The polyester is, is used a lot in, in, in that reason. but but also you know I mean these 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 rollers are also very much acrylics in it. Also. Use the amount of splatter that yeah, absolutely. I mean we we, okay. we we measure fabrics by you know again similar to brushes I and mean, how they pick up and how they lint and how they splatter and uh 
And interestingly enough, too, uh, when you go on the website, I found a whole bunch of other goodies, too, which was uh, you guys actually have a line of uh, putty knives as well, too, kind of full cane, wood handles, super robust uh, sort of uh, putty knives, and then a more comfortable grip line, a little more flexibility. I know you guys offer some stiff ones, too, kind of as we would call them, like, you know, chisel knives, things like that. But, yeah, beautifully refined kind of like, yeah, wonderfully tapered they got a good flex to them again just kind of like a brush where it's it's stiff enough where you can really move some uh, mud or putty around but enough flexibility in the end so you can kind of refine your patch like that so i was i was really impressed by these using these as well too yeah i mean we we, we, we categorize between filling knives and, and scrapers basically two major categories and then just the, tip of it. Um, the, the wooden handle ones are very very traditional uk style and I, I we put them on the website because we we love them I think they look nice and they they really last a long time nice no and i and listen i'm a fan of anything you know obviously aesthetics is a big thing if it's got a wood handle and stainless steel i'm a fan but also it feels like you guys really nailed like the robustness of this like full tang as as, as it says on the website this one piece of metal goes through the entire thing and you can feel it. I mean, it is, it is robust. It's almost like it's connected to your arm like this. And those are, those are really substantial tools. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's one, it's one solid piece of metal all the way through. They will never break. Yeah. I like, I like those a lot. So again, fun to see, like when you dig into the website and I, I should mention on the website too, uh, beautifully organized, beautifully simple, um, uh, if I if I understand right, uh, there's a video on how you guys make brushes uh, on there as well. But also, one of the things that I've almost never seen another manufacturer do is you guys have a pie chart broken out of what goes into making a brush, like what percentage of things in your business that go in there. And that was something I've never seen. And as a huge fan of job costing and you know variable costs and fixed costs, listen, that was something that tickled me in a very interesting way, Peter. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we thought we thought it'd be quite fun really to do that. I mean it's it's quite it's you know quite interesting way of presenting things. So yeah. Nice. Well, uh I want to paint something. So uh I think what we're gonna do first is uh I will I will do uh I'll I'll use the enamel brush, we'll do a cabinet door here, and then we'll go brush and roller on the wall here too. So I'll just readjust here real quick, Peter, get the tools out of the way. If it all goes well. So for, for us nerdy craftspeople, you know, obviously we want a brush to work well. We want it to look really good, but we also want it to be fun to use. And that's sort of the thing where, you know, we, I've, we, we spend so much time with brushes in our hand that we associate like almost feelings and emotions with brushes sometimes. And when I've been messing around with uh, with your offerings, I was particularly taken by you know spirit flat soft finish. Um, I I really the, the the softness of the end of this brush is unrivaled. It's just an amazing thing to use, but yet it's thick. It's got a nice thick profile and it's stiff enough, which I like. And and you know a lot of people again, like we said before, there's a knee jerk where if you want a smoother finish, softer finish. You kind of have to almost find a wimpy brush, something that's just soft and delicate, and that is not the case. I feel like you guys have really nailed um, sort of a, a nice middle ground between robust, thick, can apply a lot of paint, but like the end of it is just so beautifully refined. And uh, I've had a blast using that. So I will. So we're using some water-based enamel here, and this is a prepped and primed cabinet door. A little in there. I wanted a nice different colored enamel for contrast here. But the, the thing that I like a lot is how much paint this thing can hold. And normally with, with enamel or enamel brushes, you know, you, you have a very thin profile, you have a very wimpy sort of bristle. But with these, uh, I just love, love, love how much paint these you, things can hold. Earlier, Nick, you know, the brush specification that we use, 
our brushes are quite a bit thicker than your normal brushes, especially the, the flat, less so the angles. Yeah, I am just a huge fan. And for me, total, total contact area, especially with something like this, um, enamels tend to be a little bit thinner. So you do, you don't need a crazy robust brush, but at the same time, if, if the thicker, the thicker profile, the thicker profile of the brush like that, you have twice the total contact area to help fill pores. Like this is an old cabinet door here and it's, You'd be surprised the difference between if you take a brush with half the half the profile like this, it takes twice as much effort to fill all those pores. And when the thing that I like most about this is it takes so little effort to fill the pores on oak because you have such a big contact area and those I won't use the terms properly, but the way the ends are flagged, the way the ends are treated, it just it, the coverage with enamel is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I, there's a lots of good brushes out there and you guys make lots of good brushes too, but this one particularly got me because it's just, it just feels like it's tailor made for enamel. And also I'm usually a, a, a fan of a brush with that's got a little, you know, two and a half is normally my go-to enamel brush. I know some people use something a little thinner, maybe a little thicker, but for me, when we're doing a piece of trim, a lot of baseboard, a lot of casing in the United States is somewhere between that two, two and a quarter, two and a half, give or take. So you can actually cover quite a bit of it. And most cabinet doors, it just, it just seems to work really well with the profiles and the common sort of shapes of rails and styles and things that we use in the United States here. So, yeah, it's just, again, we associate a certain amount of feeling and emotion to the brushes we use. And for me, like I've, I just associated over the last bunch of weeks of messing with this is kind of like effortless. Like this is just like good. If we're taking a hand that has a lot of muscle memory and we're putting a good tool in it and it's just like this wonderful, wonderful combination like that. So, yeah, hats off to this one, Peter. I'm a big fan, particularly of this one. So, <laughs> at least it is interesting that, 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 that you know, in our sales, you, you mentioned two and a half inch brush. Quite a big chunk of what we sell is, is two and a half. Whereas in in our country, that's actually one of the least sales. We normally we really? do two inch, mostly mostly two inches, the biggest seller. Whereas on the US side, we sell two and a half inch and three inch on the ovals. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna back this up. I'm gonna move this over here, and we're gonna do wall demo as well too here. Okay, we have our wall paint. of the entire line like when when I started dabbling with them messing with them um, it I mean again this just could be my opinion but everything is just a little thicker a little bit more robust a little there just seems to be a little more to it all when even when you look at the roller covers the putty knives the brushes too especially when you start looking at like spirit oval this one jumped out at me immediately because this is a monster this is robust. It's got that beautiful oval, which I'm a fan. It's got a, a handle that fits in your hand, but my gosh, the, the amount of paint that goes into this is absolutely amazing. Like, and, and you said balance is important too. Even when you have this thing loaded up, this thing feels like an extension of your hand and uh, the production, the, the length of something you can cut with this is just, it's a, it's a, it's a blast to use. Yeah, and that's that, that's the thing. I mean, time time is money, you know. And, and for a you don't want to spend time keep on going back and dipping in the paint. You want to you want to put paint on the wall. So the is Let's move this guy around here. We are in my my test room here. You can see we have 
You're not going to paint over that beautiful blue wall, are you? Oh man, listen, Peter, this is uh, uh, my my shop manager. This is so. This is a to scale replica. Uh, everybody knows this room. The last Escapator was actually in this room. This is a 15 by 15 foot bedroom, exact scale replica of the most typical bedroom we have in the United States. And we actually test people in our apprenticeship program. They have to do this bedroom in four hours or less, start to finish, patching holes, prepping top coat one, top coat two, taping and all that other stuff. So this room probably has 1100 coats of paint on it. And the room, you can almost feel it getting smaller. It's been painted so many times, but I love it because this is where we test everything. And I've been testing out this stuff uh, as we go. And this teal, my, my shop manager and head trainer, Brandon, he gets sick of going gray and tan, so he picked out some teal paint. So uh, it's fun. I was going to say that the walls, the walls really are closing in. They, no, they are at, like, that is not a proverbial thing here. Like, that is an absolute true statement. So, um, Peter, there is, there's a lot of talk uh, in the industry. There, uh, brushers seem to be divided along, you know, slappers, guys that dip into a can, and, you know, we'll then give it one of these things here. Um, I'm biased. I grew up as a dipper and a wiper. So I dip. I get about a three-quarter inch to an inch, and I wipe one side of the can like this, tip it up, and go to the wall. Um, I don't know if you want to wade into the controversy. Do you have any deep thoughts on slappers versus wipers? <laughs> well, slappers mean something very specific in English. <laughs> oh! <laughs> we won't, won't go down that road. No, I get a. It's cultural context, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the amount the the amount of of paint that comes off of this thing at a metered rate is just amazing. And yeah, I just it, I am such a fan of the ovals too. They just feel great in your hand. And uh, this is this is a super robust paintbrush. Like this is a this is a monster. This is a big production tool. I, 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 that is our biggest seller on the website. Really? The three inch, the three inch oval. Wow. Well, I listen, I can I can tell why. Like this is just it, you feel like you got a great combination of size of handle. And again, when you have a brush that that can weigh a considerable amount at the end, having something robust for a for a bigger hand, you know, a working person's hand to fit around is a great thing. The oval helps you hold on to it, the length, the stiffness. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you guys really got a great combination of all those attributes right here. It's just a beautiful, beautiful tool. I, I really like the, the oval shape really is a very nice shape. Very And the microfiber too. Um, again, this this feels to me almost like the, uh, the flat enamel brush that we were using where um, effortless comes to mind. It seems like you guys have a good combination of stiffness, but also a refinement of the fibers where it just likes to fill in a little bit. Like it, it just does, it feels like it does a little bit more work for you than a run of the mill kind of, you know, $2 roller cover that you find. So. Yeah, and this stuff, I mean, especially on a, on a first dip on a roller like that, I mean, it really meters out the paint really well. I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people who don't understand it, but um, there's a lot of roller covers that will, will leave kind of a whole bunch of paint right where you touch it, and then you kind of have to work around to smooth it out. But this feels like if you can keep a nice even pressure, it just almost meters it out beautifully. How much paint are you loading onto each time you do that? So I, uh, I am a, uh, I'm a guy who puts on as much as I can to saturation with these things. So probably, you know, on a, on a roller tray like this, we will, well, I like to kind of just kiss it into the paint like this to the point where uh, the roller cover is covered and then kind of even it out. And then, so you have a little bit on the surface of the roller cover, but you know, definitely not one of these where it's kind of, you know, dripping off like that. So I like to, Maximum as, as 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 I can do it, you know, less less trips over the wall. So yeah. And what what paint was that again? Oh, this is uh, our preferred wall paint is Sherwin Williams Duration Matte. So again, it's a it's really interesting. Uh, that paint is almost a great combination of like thick and robust, 
but it feels like you can just spread it nice and thin where it's not this thick, sticky kind of wallpaper like that. So weird combination. I think it jives really well with this stuff where it is thick, it covers well, but with a refined tool, you can give that nice professional layer. And, and when you do lay it out nice and even, you get that beautiful shine, that matte glow to a wall that a professional will get where maybe a DIYer won't get. I'm, I'm actually really surprised by the coverage you, you got from that. It's, it's, it's amazing. Peter, that's why, listen, uh, <laughs> we are not a company who just does things unintentionally, like literally over 29 years. I have tested everything and our criteria is a little different sometimes than other people. Like for the amount of paint we use, we got to find stuff that's readily available, super high grade, gets a, uh, a proven result every time. Uh, we have apprenticeship programs, so we have to have something that's maybe even a little forgiving sometimes. And honestly, like if I had two more dips into that roller, typically what I would expect out of a roller cover is three nine inch lengths top to bottom on an eight foot ceiling like that. And yeah, effortless like that. And that's, that's awesome coverage with that. I mean, especially you can see like, you know, almost a creamy off white over a teal, like a combination of tool and really high quality paint. That's it. I mean, if you gave me a 75 cent roller cover with premium paint like this, it would not look like this at all. <laughs> and how, how, many, how many coats would you need to do that? Is that, that looks like yeah, we we always do two, Peter. It's just like for a professional, our minimum is two. Like if we were going from a teal wall to almost a perfectly white uh, wall, we would absolutely lay down a white primer first to kind of break the color even off the surface, and then do two coats of white over the top. But yeah, we are we are one of those companies that truly believes in like yes, we we always do a pro does two coats, even if you can get it to cover perfectly in one coat, you build that even shine out over two coats. All right, so I'm going to just go through a couple questions and answers, and then uh, I will not take up any more of your time here. So, <laughs> all right, we got a whole bunch of people saying good morning. Um, yeah, Iram Ramos says beautiful display of brushes. Uh, they absolutely love this stuff. Um, Mark Poulos, uh, Mark is another paint nerd like me. Uh, he was actually one of the people named a Craftsman of the Year uh, years ago, uh, as well as me uh, for the PCA. And uh, yeah, Mark is a is a tried and true paint nerd. And I know he was probably clicking his heels over this stuff here. So, oh, Mark Johnston, my fellow uh, uh, historic restoration friend here, uh, came in late, uh, but great show. With all the historic finishes I work on, quality and correct brushes are so important. I use Corona quite a bit, but we'll look into this. So Mark is, uh, he's, he's, I mean, if you think I'm nerdy about history and our craft and things like that, Mark literally makes wood windows with like, the planes from the 1800s and he finishes them with shellac and things like that. Like this is a tried and true nerd. And Mark and I uh, go back and forth on this stuff. And, and I know when he saw like the duster, the wall brush, the, the reshamp here, I mean, I, I'm sure he was just giddy about that stuff. So <laughs> see, that's quite awesome. I like his photograph as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, let's see. Uh, Jesse Allen. Oh, Jesse, uh, love Pioneer brushes. They started using them this year. They have everything I look for in a brush. And I believe Jesse is from, from your neck of the woods as well, too. So, Okay, great. Jesse, uh, used one first time on a double French. Holds together perfectly. No splitting. Wonderful. Oh, that's good to hear. Awesome. Thank you. And Steve Addicts, he's a fellow master craft person, too. He's watching along. Uh, Brandon Lumby. Oh, perfect. Uh, Brandon Lumby, where can we find your brushes? If we want to get a hold of you, if we want to get a hold of some of these brushes, what do we do, Peter? We, you go pioneer, pioneerbrushstore.com is where, is where we are. And, and you can email us through, through the site. Um, and, and any questions, we'll be very happy to answer. <laughs> oh, so uh, one of the one of the Englishmen uh, over at our neck of the woods now, uh, Joe Finch, is actually watching. He came in late. And he was, he said, he thought he saw a duster brush. And Joe Finch, you did see a duster brush. I know Joe is a master craftsperson like myself. He dabbles in traditional oil finishes. Uh, Englishman over here in Detroit. But yeah, Joe, you're going to love this stuff. So uh, yeah, I think, uh, and Joe, I would say, Peter, if you're ever open to talking to guys like me and Joe, boy, Joe, you would find a, a, a kindred spirit in, in Peter here. So. <laughs> We missed, we missed the, 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 the expo you just had in, in Orlando, but we, we definitely want to come to the, to the one next year if we can, you know, 
COVID willing and all that. But um, yes, for sure. Oh, I love that. And uh, one thing, uh, one thing I should mention too: the PCA has got a whole bunch of events during the year, but the crowning event of the craftsperson's calendar is an actual craftsmanship get together, a craftsmanship forum where, you know, sometimes there's somewhere between 50 and a hundred of seriously the most master of the masters there. And uh, Peter, I'll send you some information on that, but boy, you would find, I mean, this conversation goes on for three days and it goes way deeper where we get into different kind of hog hair bristle and we get into all this other stuff. And it's just the nerds of the nerds, Peter, you, you would love it there. So when is that? When, when, when is that? I think that's going to be later in the fall. Uh, I think we're still trying to find a, uh, a location and, and a date zeroed in, but it's all in the work. So, uh, yeah, the PCA's website will have it, and then certainly I'll pass along some information to you. So, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like a good excuse to come over. Yeah. Oh, and you, yeah, you would, yeah, your spirit would be lifted by the people in that room. It's a whole bunch of nerds like us. So, <laughs> Okay, everybody, uh, I think that we're going to call her there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Peter, seriously, especially beaming in from England, taking the time to do this, working with me, teaching me about your company, your brushes. Um, when I connect with somebody who has a deep love and, and knowledge of the history of what we do, that makes me so happy because there are not that many people like you out there, Peter, and there's not that many companies like Pioneer out there. So for me and all of the other master crafts people here in the United States, Seriously, thank you for your time today. No, thank, thank you, Nick. It's, 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 been, it's been really, really good fun. I've really enjoyed myself. It's, it's been good. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. Um, if you want more information on the PCA, there's a link here. If you want to track down Pioneer Brushes or talk to Peter, I actually threw some links and a website in the show notes here. Um, outside of that, I thank everybody for watching. Kindest thing you can do is to like Ask a Painter Live and share it. And uh, all right, everybody, have a good weekend. We're going on family time now. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.